0: Good Humans is a proud member of Accidental Information. For more info, visit AccidentalInformation.com. Hello, people of Earth, and welcome back to Good Humans, season two of Good Humans. I'm so excited for you guys to find out what all we have in store this season. A lot of new things, a lot of exciting things, and I'm so excited to share it with you. One of the things that I want to tell you about really quickly is our new Patreon page. I'm sure you're familiar with what Patreon is. So please go over to patreon.com slash goodhumans. You can read all about what we're doing there. Uh, I really just want to build some community um, and maybe do some cool things in our communities. But if you sign up for one of the tiers, you can get some cool stuff. And I'm I'm really excited uh, to see what good comes from that. So check that out. patreon.com slash good humans. My conversation today is with Phil Drysdale. He's an author, a speaker, the son of a pastor, a Bible studier, a truth seeker, and some would probably say a heretic. Phil is asking the questions of his faith that many Christians are afraid to ask because the truth usually isn't in line with the mainline dogma, and he's talking about it with anyone and everyone that will listen. Phil's websites, thegracecourse.com and phildrysdale.com are completely free resources with videos, blog posts, and interviews that talk about meaningful topics such as what does the Bible say about being gay, hint, it's not much at all, and what does faith even mean. Phil is brilliant and kind, and I'm so excited for you to meet him. Phil Drysdale. Hi, Phil. Hey, Josh. So before we get started, um, so I know a little bit about your background, but you know you, I think, better than anybody. Um, So if you don't mind, just tell us a little bit about who you are, kind of what you're doing, just whatever you think we should know.
1: Yeah. Okay. So um, just a rough overview. I I grew up in a a very... Christian home. It was pretty awesome, pretty great. It wasn't, you know, too fundamental, but uh, it was probably quite rigid in the way that uh, my family saw the world. The, the churches that I was involved with saw the world. My dad was a pastor. So those are closely linked. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and I kind of went on my own spiritual journey over the years, but very much within kind of a rigid framework of Christianity. And um, over the kind of last 10 years or so, I started to think, you know what? This maybe isn't quite so black and white as it seems it doesn't it doesn't seem to add up a lot of these things god doesn't seem so good when you look at you know good mm. portion of the bible he doesn't seem so good when you meet a good portion of his followers um yeah and so you know just start to ask lots of questions and and over the years i've kind of um Found myself being thrust into uh, some form of spotlight or another, be it through uh, internet media or in churches or conferences or being asked to speak in like kind of colleges or different things like that. Um, and Initially, I was still within a bit of that rigid framework, so people kind of sure. wanted me to come into the church and kind of give them, you know, a, basically the pat on the back, you know, like you know that, right. that message. You go into church to hear basically what you already know, so you can pat yourself right. on the back and go home. Affirmation. Um, yeah, I, I call it spiritual masturbation, which might be a yes. bit much for some of your viewers, but um, you know, it's basically you go in, you you do what makes you feel better, and you go away nothing different. Um, mm. And and I was very complicit in that for for at least a few years. Um, until it kind of just started to unravel in my hands and in time that kind of unraveled in the way that I did my quote-unquote ministry whatever that means to whoever's listening I uh, don't know what it means to me so <laughs> um, and so since then I've, I've been kind of um, unraveling publicly I would say um, so I, I'm kind of constantly trying to explore what does it mean to um, follow this person that I find irresistible Jesus and the God that he speaks of and um, and come to terms with the odds that that is within Christianity. That the, the fact that the person that Jesus calls Father is often very different to who many Christians call Father. Uh, in my opinion, at least, um, and trying to come to terms with that. And 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 the the truth is, you know, you you end up looking like whoever you worship. You know, if if you if you are worshiping a a vindictive, angry, maniacal God, you'll end up looking pretty angry, pretty maniacal, pretty whatever. If you worship a God and you truly believe he's good, he embraces all, he's accepting of all, you end up being good and accepting of all and loving of all. And, you know, there's some nuances to that. And people would see that statement very differently. But that's my goal is to try and um, help people see God in a better way so that they themselves can live life in a better way. It's amazing to me how
0: similar our backgrounds are. Mm-hmm. Um, I was a I was a pastor's son also, so that was all I knew my whole life. And I used to shy away from calling it a cult. I don't anymore because it, by definition, the the branch of Christianity I grew up in is a cult just by literal definition. Mm-hmm. Um, extremely right wing, very closed off, very in group out group. So I, I also was complicit in that for a very long time. Um, it took me a long time to, to get out. And it's only been for me as well in the last 10 or so years that I've really started to explore other modalities and other ways of, of being in the world. And so it's, it's always intriguing to me when I find other people that are sort of doing some of the same work and processing through some of the same growth, I guess, mm. um, and the growing pains associated with that. And the the constant, even the constant warring in my own head, which I'm sure you've experienced as well, of some days, it, you're it's just totally freeing, and there's all these ideas, and it's wonderful. And then some days you almost wish you could go back to not knowing any of mm-hmm. it yeah. because life was a lot simpler. Are you familiar with the the philosophical term the death of God? Yeah, yeah. For our listeners, I guess we should define that the the death of God philosophically is not talking about God actually dying. It's it's really more the moment uh where you peek behind the curtain and then you can't unsee what you've seen and you can't unlearn what you've learned. So would you describe your sort of like your your beginning of this exploration? Was it sort of one of those things for you or was it more gradual?
1: Um you know it's really interesting because day in, day out I deal with dozens of people that are going through this process and trying to help them. And it seems that like 99.9% of people have this kind of experience where it's just like There's, there's, whether it was gradual or quite rapid, there's a tipping point and that's it. Like you're like, I can't go back. This is terrifying. I don't know what to do next. I'm kind of, what, what ways up? You know, because it's kind of an existential crisis for, if you think of, for people that aren't Christian, listen to this. If you think of, imagine framing your entire worldview, everything around one thing. And then you find out that one thing isn't the way you, you put it. Your whole life is you're going through an existential crisis. The weird thing is for me, I don't really recall having that. Um, I don't I don't recall having the existential crisis over this, Interesting. Um, but I, I love change and I love messing with my beliefs. I love like I, I'm the person that if we're in a room, you could argue anything and I'll just pick a fight with you, like not picking a fight like to be, get aggressive running. But I'm like, well, let's just see where this could go. Like, And I'm going to philosophically pick any position that's contrary to you just to see if i can argue it i love it i love like that's how i think that's how i grow that's how i challenge other people and do you really believe what you believe and so i think for me i'm kind of wired in a way that i kind of look for that and i kind of enjoy it so i think for many people i know have had this existential dread in their death of god moment i had to like ooh this is fun Ex- experience of the death of god in a sense of of this like exposure of like this entire framework is not the way that you think it is and actually you're gonna have to completely rebuild this from scratch i get excited as god is in one sense dying and there's this new uh, picture of god coming about this is god isn't changing just my view of god is just dying it's just it's so many of my views just have to go they're not compatible i find out that i'm worshiping nothing right um and, and I get excited by that because, to be honest with you, it's only good news. It's, it's None of it's bad news. If you if you peek behind the curtain and your God isn't there, you're like, oh, this is great. If it's some old, old guy, you're like, oh, well, this is great. I can stop worshipping this guy, <laughs> right? I mean, I've just bought myself a Sunday. I've bought myself a whole bunch of evenings that were dedicated to prayer nights and youth groups and this. I can actually do something that's more meaningful or, or I, I can find passion about. It. So I, I get excited by these kind of things. But I do know that the majority of people, that is not the the process. I don't know. What, what was, for you, did, would you would you say it was quite different?
0: I can point to a moment uh, where I, I think it was the beginning of me starting to explore outside of what I knew in earnest. Um, and I, I think that moment would have been my quote-unquote death of God moment. I was leaving a Wednesday night service and... Um, I, I was also working a full time job. So it was always a, a fight with every job I, I worked to, and I was working nights. So it was always a, f- a fight to make yeah, sure that I had Wednesday that. nights off for church. So, like, I, you know, I was consciously on purpose, you know, sort of arranging my life around this. And I had been going for a long time. And I just sort of noticed, or in the back of my mind, I knew that I was leaving angry every time I, I left church. And I could never really put my finger on why. And this one specific Wednesday night, I left uh, and I, I got in my car to drive home. And just out of nowhere, I just burst into tears. Mm. And it was it was one of those moments where it, I, it wasn't sad tears. I wasn't even really sure why I was crying. It was There was just a lot of anger and big emotions happening. And so that's just how it came out. Um, and I, I remember realizing that moment that the issue was, I was going to church. I was making conscious efforts to, to do all that. I was doing this on purpose because I felt like it was the right thing to do. Mm. And all I was being told the whole time is how awful I was. And I was never given any sort of a solution or, or way back. And so I was leaving every week just down in the, the lowest dumps mm. that there was without any sort of path forward. Um, I was never, we were never given any sort of, this is how you fix it. And I, so that was the moment for me. I I knew I, I, the next thought I had was if this is God, then I, I don't want any part of this, this, this cannot be healthy.
1: Have you guys uh, ever on your podcast had someone to talk about like spiral dynamics or any of these kind of integral theory or anything like that?
0: Not on the podcast. I've, I've listened to other podcasts. Where yes. Okay. About some of that.
1: So. so that is something that is well worth diving into because, you know, some of the, kind of, as, as, as humans evolve psychologically, we all develop and we grow. We generally follow a, a fairly linear path on the whole, which mm. is quite fascinating that we've kind of discovered in the last kind of 30, 40 years. Huh. There's kind of a pretty mapped out process of how humans uh, progress. But actually what's interesting is societies progress in the same manner, which kind of makes mm. sense as humans process psychologically so cultures would do as well i mean the culture is just a whole bunch of humans together right um but some of those stages um and and the, one of the main stages that most of the world is uh, most of the western world is still kind of coming out of and most of the rest of the world is just kind of going into or in very much so um is the stage called traditional or, or blue um and and that stage really values certainty stability um, very black and white thinking, this is right, that's wrong. There is a right and wrong. And so if I'm right, everyone else around me is wrong. Um, you know, and, and it kind of makes sense that if that's the, the culture you're in, if that's the way you are, the, the, the way you've been brought up, um, that something like a traditional rigid religion feels safe, feels good, feels great. And the problem is in that state, when you're in that uh, place psychologically, if somehow you get nudged out of this, if you get shown, maybe it's not what you think, or maybe it's not as black and white, or maybe just a little bit here is wrong or that wrong, or maybe the whole thing is totally like up on its head. I don't know what you're going to do next. If you're in that place still psychologically, you're talking full-blown existential crisis. You are talking, I am Terrified. I don't know what's right, what's wrong. I'm even when you're convinced, even when you're going, you know what? I don't even believe in a hell b- anymore. But you're still closing your eyes at night, thinking, God, what if I'm wrong? I'm going to go to hell. You know, like you're just in this dissonance in your brain. It's, it's a very scary place. But as later stages of psychological development, probably a few stages on, actually at a certain point, you start to recognize how the pattern of evolving happens psychologically, how these things all come together. And you start to look at the various parts and you stop demonizing them and you actually start going, oh, they all kind of have a role. They all kind of yeah. have a place to play. And and suddenly you can play the bit of a devil's advocate because you can see, um, you know, that it's all good. It's, it's, it's kind of, in some way, shape, or form, it's all helpful in our in our process, in our growth. Right. And so, for some people, you know what, joining a cult might be a, a beneficial step towards becoming a more enlightened, more healthy, more whole human. It might not be the best way. It might not be the best route. It might not be the best stage to stay in. But it actually might bring them through. You know, you find people that are, um, you know, quite a common path for uh, violent criminals is to go through a very traditional religious system because right. that's one of the that's the stage before blue is, is called red and I think it's a, an apt color, which is uh, it's also culturally it would be the warlords stage. Um, and so you go from kind of a tribal stage, you think of people like in the Amazon rainforest, or maybe what many of us think of Africa back in the day. And, and from that stage of tribal uh, community with, you know, a shaman and a witch doctor or something, usually a warlord evolves. Someone comes out of that and takes charge and is violent and is aggressive and takes it and what he deserves and he manipulates others and so on and so forth. And that very much is where a lot of criminals are. It's where a lot of people that are violent, aggressive, they're in a warlord stage. They're trying to manipulate others to get what they want. They'll use force if they have to. Uh, They see people in a tribal stage that just want to work together and be quite peaceful and, and take advantage of that. Um, and so it's quite common for them to, in the next stage, need that traditional element, that stability, it actually re- it introduces that tribal element that's quite healthy and good, this cultural stability, this this view of we, not just me, um, you know, not just being about myself, but being about others as well. So it's, it, there's a lot of um, good in a lot of these things that we, we look at. This existential crisis, I think it really is dependent on where you are, and so, you know, sometimes if you're not in that place, I wasn't really in the most rigid of places, despite being uh, physically there, <laughs> I was in the churches, but I wasn't there mentally, that's not how I think, it's not what I, I enjoy, I, I was I was the guy, I was in a charismatic church, um, helping lead their, um, their network and doing a whole bunch of different things, um, helping write their curriculum, all that stuff. And at the same time as being in this charismatic movement, I'm reading um, books by really right-wing fundamental pastors. I'm reading books by the most left-wing, hippie, you know, like the, the worst people that, you know, a right-wing Christian would ever read. And I'm reading like, you know, uh, the, you know, uh, Lao Tzu. I'm reading Taoism. I'm yeah. reading Buddhism. And, and I, I was a bad Christian, you know? I, I didn't stick mm. it in my own box anyway. In relative
0: terms, uh, I, I would say you were a bad Western Christian. Yes, that's um,
1: probably a much better way to put it.
0: So we talked earlier about that, like that moment where you peek behind the curtain, and depending mm. on what you see there, it's it's just always good news. It may not feel like it at the moment. If it's something that you don't want, then you can walk away. If there's nothing there, then you know there's nothing there, and then you can start searching. But I, I've been exploring this idea recently of uh, – the fact that the, the God that we worship is often a Uber version of ourselves. Mm-hmm. So, um, it's almost like a, a super ego. And so, uh, and it's why we personify God. Um, and it's why we attribute human emotions and, and things to him, but, and that's why we call him, him, um, yeah. to be honest, but,
1: uh, <laughs> the great white male in the sky, right.
0: With the, yeah, with a long white beard. Um, <laughs> So on Instagram, you do these, you know, ask me anything Mm. um, pretty often, which I so enjoy. Yeah, me too,
1: me too. (laughs) Um,
0: But uh, in the most recent sort of session, one person asked you something along – I don't remember exactly what they said, but they asked you something along the lines of um, the idea of restitution and forgiveness Mm. um, and if there has to be restitution or uh, like a penalty paid in order for forgiveness to to happen – um, which is something that I've been wrestling with a lot lately, too. And I've, I've heard people say things on on both extreme sides. But what your answer, I think, hit it on the head for for kind of where I'm starting to land on this in that if if God is really the ultimate good and he's not human. So a human, sure, would need restitution or some sort of penalty to feel at peace about some wrongdoing, but if god is really the ultimate good and the ultimate being why would god not be able to forgive freely as he commands us to do yeah. and would he expect us to live to a higher standard than he holds himself which yeah. i i had never <laughs> thought about it exactly that way but th- i think that crystallizes so well sort of where i'm landing on this but just so all that that's a really long-winded mm-hmm. way to ask what's your what's your thoughts on um Just the idea of us worshiping like the the Uber version of ourselves as God and, you know, where that takes us.
1: This is a huge topic. So th- and this is, um, at the crux of, uh, of religion as, as a whole, really. I mean, you can pick yeah. pretty much any faith and, and we do this to some degree. Even the, the more, uh, you know, often you look at people that have come out of a rigid Christianity and we all go to like, oh, the Tao and, you know, all oh, Buddhism and all these kind of amazing Eastern philosophical religions. But even they are very much, uh, doing this on some level or another as well. Um, and so. I think one of the things that's really fascinating is that there's an a anthropologist, a um, guy called René Girard, a Frenchman, who um, was studying world religions and studying um, different faiths. And uh, he was looking at it from an anthropological perspective, like how do these cultures have these different faiths? Why do they have this? How, do, how does religion evolve? What, what brings about uh, religion? What brings about these different mythologies? Um, and it's fascinating, he actually became a Christian through his studies Um, Because he studied all these world religions. He studied the big ones. He studied these small minor ones. He studied throughout history, all these different cultures. And he said exactly the same thing is happening in every single religion. And they all have the same story. And the story is that of a scapegoat. The story is Mm. of that who is um, somehow um, uh, an outsider who does something wrong. Something is not right. There's some reason to put him out of the group, kill him on behalf of God, in the name of God. um, And... You know, generally speaking, that's how pretty much most religions end up. If you if you study most world religions, they all involve human sacrifice at some point of the religion. Some become a bit more, uh, 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 you know, evolved. But we still do it just on a, a less bloody level. Um, we still do it today. Even in Christianity, we have our own uh, our own uh, elements of scapegoating and, and, and us yes. and them and all these different things. But what's interesting, he says, what's fascinating about Judaism and Christianity is the whole time they are doing it, in their their religious texts, they're exposing themselves, okay? Not you know in a creepy perverted way. Um, <laughs> but that phrase "expose yourself" you just got you got to cover your basis with that. You know, right. But they're exposing themselves. So the whole time you read through the, the gospel narrative, and and you know they're 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 killing this person in the name of God. Jesus shows up, pret- pretends to be God, says God's different from the way we think He is, and so we're going to kill Him. Um, But what's interesting is the whole time in the Bible, it's very clear. It says that, you know, Caiaphas says, well, we're just killing this guy so we can, as the greater group, can have peace. That's why we're doing it. Um, You know, it says that they didn't really even know what they were doing. Their witness was not right. It says, like, even the Romans are commenting on it and Pilate's going, this guy's innocent, but sure, let's just kill him so we can have peace with the Jews. You know, the whole time they're highlighting that we do scapegoating to have peace. We scapegoat someone and kill them in the name of God so we have peace because they and, and the reason that and the way we cover it up is we we create a mythology that covers our scapegoating we create a mythology that cr- covers up our violence and so the mythology we create is oh he uh, blasphemed against God, or oh uh if we kill a young virgin then the volcano god won't kill him. you know we, we create whatever mythology we want but ultimately we've killed someone to try and create some peace in the group um, and so that's a huge topic, and I mean, this is you know that's something you could study for years and not even really scratch the surface. So I'm just throwing that sure. out there. But um, the the point is that we we all manage to create these mythologies that validate our own darkness our own issues our own whatever but what's interesting is that um, Jesus is exposing that we do it Jesus is exposing that's going on and all the way through the old testament there's exposing of this thing so you have like Jeremiah a, a really famous passage uh in Jer- one of the most famous passages Christians use to promote violence because it's really hard to promote violence after Jesus comes along Really hard. Yes. But Christians are really violent. We're one of the most violent yes. religions in the, in history, um, and we're still not much better. You know, I mean, you can mm-hmm. you can say we are, but you know go to a good portion of churches uh, in the West, especially in America. Sorry, yep. I'm over here. No, UK. it's true. We're, we're it's very true. Well aware that it's more on the other side of this, uh, the the sea. Um, but, you know, violence is a big part of Christianity still. Yeah. Um, and what's interesting is, you know, Jesus' main support for violence is in the temple. He goes in the temple and he flips over tables and he starts screaming at people and he says, you've made this house a den of robbers, a den of thieves. How dare you, blah, blah, blah. And everyone goes, yeah, see, vi- Jesus can get violent because God... God is mm-hmm. violent. Yeah, he doesn't do it all the time, but he sure does it when he has to. Um, and what does that do? It means I can be violent now. Right. I've got a violent thing. What's interesting is Jesus is quoting a guy called Jeremiah who wrote a book in the Old Testament. He was a famous prophet, and mm-hmm. that when Jeremiah was quoted saying that, he said, You've made this house a den of thieves, of robbers, you know, you've you've tarnished God's name, you've tarnished his temple. What he says later on in that chapter, just a few verses later, he says, Listen, when you guys came out of Egypt. When Moses brought you out of Egypt and God gave you uh, the promised land, he never gave you a single commandment or asked you for any sacrifices. Now, what's fascinating about it is the Bible clearly says that God gave them a whole bunch of commandments and he gave them sacrifices to do. So, you know, and this is just one example of dozens where the prophets are going, I don't think it's the way we've recorded. I don't think that that guy heard God right. I don't think that God would really do this. I don't think God would have us killing Ten thousand cows so that someone can go home and feel better about you know beating his wife i don't think that's how god works Uh, Mm -hmm. and so in the bible you have two narratives you have two stories you've got a story of who we think god is and you've got a story of god trying to say no 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 i'm more like this and i think this is the the danger of christianity is that we we can pick and choose when we make the bible all the same thing when we, when we do this in the religion, we look at our, our faith and go, oh, the Bible. Yeah, well, if it says in the Bible that's true, and it's like, well, no, because there's stuff in the Bible that clearly contradicts each other. They're, they're, they're challenging what's in the Bible. There's, yeah. there's a passage in the Bible that says that's not true. Jesus says it. He says, you've heard it say an yeah. eye for an eye. And it's like, well, yeah, Jesus, you're God, so you told us that because God said an eye for an eye. And Jesus says, well, that's nonsense. I say turn the other cheek. And you're like, yeah. Uh, what's happening right now? But 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 there's such a level of cognitive dissonance in 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 the in a lot of Christians' heads that they can't even see that this is happening right in front of them. That that God is calling out God in their own texts. So we have to be aware that there's a there's a famous saying that uh, the only way you can get around your subjectivity um, and ever get closer to objectivity is just to know that you're going to be subjective. <laughs> that you can never be objective. So you can never pick up that Bible and read what quote unquote, God says perfectly, or you're going to read (laughs) what you want. You know, you can never pray and listen and hear exactly what God says. Because even if God spoke booming voice in your room, you'd still hear it the way you want. Um, you know, we all do that. We do it with our friends. Why would it be any different with God? Um, and so we, we see this again and again and again. And, and so we have to have this hermeneutic, we have to have this lens, this way to hear God, this way to see God. And for me, that's Jesus. This is Jesus again and again and again. When, when people got pissed off with Jesus because he would say, oh, God's not violent. He would edit their passages. He'd read out their fate for violent passages, read all the good parts and then not read the violent parts. And then they tried to kill him. And then mm-hmm. later on, when they're going, how dare you be so gracious? How can you possibly see God this, this way this so graciously? His, his answer was, here's how I see it. I see it. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Um, and it's really fascinating. What's interesting is he's quoting the Bible, but again, he's changing it. It doesn't mm-hmm. ever say mind in the Bible. It says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your strength. And Jesus says, yeah, but also use your head. So it's fascinating when he says that he's adding, and please use your brain, which means you might think this is love, but use your brain. Does that actually love? Um, And that, I think, is something that we all can hear quite often and be challenged by. Um, so I think there's this, this framing, we have to learn to frame, and I think the way we frame things is through love, and I think that's what Jesus teaches us. He says, look, if this is how I'm reading scripture, I'm reading it through a lens of love. I'm looking for, where's the love? Oh, well that's God. If there's not love, you've misinterpreted who God is. You need to revisit, you need to relook at this.
0: People of Earth, this episode of Good Humans is brought to you by Accidental Information. Accidental Information is an amazing inspirational organization that is actually run by Christopher Swan, who was a guest in last season of this show. What he's doing with this organization is helping each and every one of us celebrate what makes us different and then use that to improve our personal lives and our careers. I love this organization so much, and it's not just because we just joined their podcast network. It's because each and every article and show that they have contains directly applicable and practical advice that will improve your personal life or your career. I love the articles that they post, such as how binge watching helps you live a better life, five amazing people who have used adversity to spark creativity, five ways to learn from every podcast you hear, how to tap into your creativity, and so many more. If you're interested, you should check out accidentalinformation.com and tell them good humans sent you. I hadn't planned on on talking about this but it is hard for us to admit we're wrong. I mean just just in general, mm-hmm. but especially when it comes to things like this may never happen this probably wouldn't happen. But you know, we we have the Bible now. But if if some new uh addendum to our scriptures came along and it was, you know, somehow the church was like, "Oh, this is verified. We mm-hmm. we know that this was supposed to be part of the Bible all along and we just discovered it." And there's been texts discovered over the years, but people would have a really hard time accepting something like that. And what's interesting to me is even if it was, even if it came under the auspices and the blessing of their tradition, people would still have a really hard time allowing that and accepting that and vice versa. They'd have a hard time letting go of something that was discovered to have been incorrect Mm -hmm. the whole time, even if it was... the the tradition that they're in said, yes, this is how things are now. But why is it, especially with things like that, that we have such a hard time letting go of that stuff?
1: I think with religion, everything is in this. It's not just, uh, I'm trying to think of a a good analogy. It just doesn't matter. There's so many things that just matter too much, right? Um, But, you know, it's just not some whimsical little thing that, you know, it doesn't really matter if, you know, you like beef and I don't, and there's actually an objective fact that beef's better or not, or even, I don't know, that's the worst analogy I could have come up with. Um, (laughs) My brain. Um, You know, it's just, it's not that important. But like with religion, this is everything. This is my, my, Family stability. It's my livelihood. It's it's. I I come across. So I work with a lot of people outside the church. I work work with a huge amount of people that are inside, and especially church leaders. So I work with a lot of pastors and leadership teams, helping them go through this process of learning God maybe isn't what they think He is, and it's fascinating to see the different uh processes. So many people just go, I can't do this anymore. It just feels disgenuous and they just bail. Very few do that. Most go. I'm just gonna keep quiet and keep doing what I'm doing because yeah. I can't give up on this community. It's my livelihood, and my family. It's all my friends. It's my you know. It's everything to me. It's who I am. What do I even do? I went to seminary straight out of school, and then I became a pastor. I don't even. Have, I'm not even qualified to work in Walmart. You know, I, mean, I have nothing. Right. Um, you know what would I do? And 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 so these people don't even talk about what they believe anymore. They actually have completely disconnected with authenticity. They, they can't be themselves because if they are themselves, they lose everything they have. And so that's an extreme because that person's on staff being paid, their way they pay their mortgages by telling you that things are a certain way, whether they believe it or not. Um, that's an extreme but we all have that level that element this is this is how we build our communities it's how we build our our identity it's who i am and so when you like with the homosexuality topic you know i i come across a lot of people that have been battered and bruised and beaten up over that topic and it breaks my heart and uh I, over the last kind of couple of years i put together a, a, a series all my all my uh stuff is absolutely free and so i put together this free series of about seven hours of teaching on the topic of homosexuality from a biblical quote-unquote perspective one are the pros <laughs> What are the cons of each view and how are the views constructed and and just laid out everyone's different opinion and kind of how they draw it so that people could see there are different opinions. And some of them have good points, some of them are bad. Some in certain passages are pretty hard to explain, some are much easier. And when you look at the history, the Romans, the Jews, whatever, you know. Um, but what's interesting is um, you see uh, parents, you see people that are gay even, and they can't come out, not because they um, they don't have peace with who they are, but actually because they don't want to lose this community. They don't want to lose their family. Right. You know, and so we're, we're there's so much tied into belief sometimes that actually you can be so bought into a lie just to protect yourself from the community. We, we do this all the time, you know. Um, there's something so... Powerful in the human psyche that will just believe a lie if it makes me feel safe, if it makes me feel comfortable, if it, you know, the the thing is, right? And this is one of the problems with, um, helping convince people different truths and beliefs is that the human brain has no investment in you believing the truth. You believing the truth is not important to the human brain. So psychologically, um, the way your brain is wired, neurologically, the way your brain is wired is not to teach you truth. It's to keep you safe. And so anything that attacks your safety, your brain will quickly just go, nope, didn't hear that. Um, or nope, I can discredit that. Look at this fact. Look at this <laughs> over here. Oh, a bee. You know, it's like, it's like just distraction technique. Um, and we see this all the time in all sorts of different topics, right? So you could talk politics, you can talk religion, you can talk anything and people do this mm-hmm. because they need to feel safe. But one of the key parts of safe, this, this is going back to your anthropological element of why we have morality and all this different stuff. Safety is my group being with me, for me. If I get kicked out of this group, I'm going to starve in the wild. Now that doesn't happen so much now, maybe metaphorically, but you're unlikely to be starved if you leave church, you know? But you might be starved of love and affection and, you know, community and friendships and all sorts of stuff. And your brain goes, nope, 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 nope. Not hearing it, not engaging with it, not going to entertain it. And I think that's a huge part. Um, but we, we all do it to some degree or another. Um, sure. at, at anyone that thinks they don't, is just really... Good at doing it. They just haven't have <laughs> recognized this yet. You know,
0: they're totally. Bottom. That's it. Yeah. Since the podcast is called Good Humans, mm. um, what is goodness? What does that look mm. like? How how would you define it?
1: Love. Just one word. Simple. Interesting. Love. Like I think um, love looks like an expression of multiple things, and love is a complex, again, subjective thing. So. You know, you go back to homosexuality, love can look like, you know, accepting them and embracing them. Love can look like telling them the truth, you know, you've got to tell them the truth in love. So even that is quite subjective. But I I look at love um, through the person of Jesus. You know, he says, look, this is how I frame God. This is how I I frame my faith. This is how I frame everything through love. Um, and so I follow his way. That's my path that I'm choosing. Um, I'm actually making an active choice to choose it now as well. I'm not just kind of like bumbling along, but I'm like, no, I, I'm going to follow this path of love. And and again, I, I use kind of like the biblical definition, the Corinthians, you know, love is patient, love is kind. It doesn't demand its own way, you know, all these kind of elements. Um, and I think, is that something I can live my life by? Is that something at least I can try and emulate? Um, and I think it is. It's out there. It's, it's everywhere. Um, you know, it's, it's the, uh, um, was it Mr. Rogers who says that you know whenever anything goes bad, look for the helpers? You know, and you think of right. something like nine eleven. You know, it's well, it's like you know a handful of people, maybe a hundred, two hundred, thousand people behind that, but how many millions of people rallied to make? This a better situation to help to support families to down on the grounds, go going through rubble, running upstairs, giving their lives. You know, I mean, there's you know, but we fixate on the bads, and of course, I'm not saying it wasn't bad. We shouldn't acknowledge that. We shouldn't you know uh, mourn or anything like that. Of course, but what I'm saying is, why do we fixate and and glorify the the these terrible people? rather than, you know, I mean, I didn't see any pictures of firemen that gave their lives on the news. I didn't see people all day running profiles on this person gave their life and how great was this person. You know, like, I didn't see that. I just saw again and again and again, pictures of people that were terrible people and who was behind it and what... You know, we're not out there catching. I don't need to know that, (laughs) you know, in the grand scheme of things, right? Give that to the FBI or whoever. I don't know who's in charge of these things. Give that to them, right? Um, But I don't need that. I don't need to be fixating on who's out there. You know, the mass shooting. I don't care which kid it was that shot up the school. You know, in some ways, don't hear me wrong. I I care deeply. And I love that person. I'm so grieved that that person led to that. And if there's stuff that we can learn that can change that, Absolutely. But you know what? I do want to hear the story of the, um, you know, the, the boy scout that actually uses training to like put up like a armor, bulletproof armor around his kids and saved a whole bunch of kids' lives or gave his own life or, you know, these, that's the stuff I want to hear about. That's, 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 that's love in action. It's giving yourself, you know, no greater love that has a man than this to give their life for another person. You know, what is it like to actually give your life up for someone? That's, that's powerful and that's good. And I think that's everywhere. If you choose to look for it, you know. Yes. Can go on Netflix and you can watch a million like murder mystery documentaries, you know, and it's like this serial killer, this or that or whatever. But there's like documentaries on there right now talking about you know human rights activists there's people you know there's documentaries on Martin Luther King there's a documentary on Netflix right now about um, these women in, in India where like there's a huge stigma around um, periods and and there's no sanitary products they're using literally rags yeah. and they don't talk about it and no one knows it. but you ask even a male adult and they don't even know what a period is because there's such a stigma and they're going out and they're creating really 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 cheap sanitary towels and giving them away for free. Um, mm. and, 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 putting that right through and trying to raise awareness and talk and educate. And I'm like, these people, I want to, I want to, like, that was a 30 minute documentary. I'm like, give me a six part series on that. I don't care about the making of the murderer anymore. You know, I kind of love it, but, uh, you know, <laughs> but that's it. I, I, you know, I don't want to be feeding on that. I want to feed on this goodness. I want to find these good things. Um, and they're just everywhere it's so easy and yet we seem to be so driven to kind of try and feed on something else. Anyway, it's a long answer, but for me, it's love. It's it's looking for love in action.
0: I love that answer. Um, would you say that you're
1: good? Um, I would say that it's a great question. Probably not most of the time, uh, <laughs> or at least a good portion of the time, not, but I, I think inherently I have the desire to be good. I have the, 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 I think we all have a desire to be good. I think there's no doubt about it um, that every person on this planet wants to be good. In fact, you know, it's probably even thinking that they're doing good. Usually when we're not doing good, it's because of some pain, some suffering, some hurt. And it's actually twisted what we think. You know, Hitler probably thought he was doing good. Hitler was the hero in his story. Am I a good person? I think I want to be. I inherently want to be a good person. I probably am wired to think I am. I'm just a lot more self-aware than I used to be knowing that <laughs> I probably am not. I probably have my twisted morality, my subjective views, my whatever else, my hurts, my pains that does twist that. But does that make me bad? So I think even that question, if I'm not a good person at times, does that make me a bad person? It's, it's still very, to me, it's still eating from this tree of good and evil. Are we fixated on what's right and what's wrong rather than going, am I a person that's just trying to love Am I being, am I following the way of love? So for me, that's, that's, for me, I know at least I'm trying to do that. And you can ask my wife how well I'm good at it, right? Because the answer is not great either, (laughs) but at least I'm trying. Um, So yeah. Oh,
0: I, I love that answer. There's so much there too. Um, for the record, I, I would say, I think that you're a good human. Um, that's, what, that's why what I had you on the podcast. That would
1: be if you thought exact- <laughs> this is season three, you guys, I'm actually getting a whole bunch of bad people on the podcast. <laughs> this is how not to
0: be. Um,
1: yeah, well, thank you.
0: So I, I have one last thing. Yeah, if you have just it. a couple more minutes. Um, so what I want to start doing is, uh, i I've, I've kind of experimented with this before, but I'd like to start doing a good human of the week. Okay. Uh, and so what I thought is I would tell you about somebody who I I think is is a good human and what they're doing in the world. Um, I know we just, we talked about what you're doing in the world and I think that's awesome. And so, uh, this is something that's near and dear to my heart. So I I figured for the first episode of season three, um, we'd, we'd come back to something I, I know I've talked about before on the podcast, but are you familiar with charity water?
1: Yes. Amazing.
0: Okay. Okay, so Scott Harrison, um, for anybody that's not familiar, he actually just wrote a book, too, which uh, is on my list. I still haven't purchased it, and I don't know why. Um, probably because I'm way behind on my uh-huh. reading list that's, anyway. So that's the be same phrase I have I every to
1: time. Oh, I should buy that. Yeah, yeah.
0: I will buy it at some point and read it, though, because I, I'm a big fan. But Scott Harrison, um, just long story short, used to be a, a, basically a promoter um, and was big in the nightclub scene and things like that and uh, really just living the life like I I just what everyone and anyone would probably dream of doing Mm -hmm. just drinking champagne until four in the morning and (laughs) stumbling home and getting paid for it. Um, I mean, he was really just doing it and just sort of realized one day that there was really no permanence to anything that he was doing. Um, and he wanted to do something better. Uh, and so he looked into starting a charity, um, and using his skills as a promoter, uh, in that realm. And so that's where Charity Water was born. Um, and so the idea is that Charity Water is a nonprofit organization that provides clean water to uh, locales across the world that don't have access to clean water uh, at the moment. So these are these are places where people have to. It's literally an all day process to get water wow. and bring it back. So people are are leaving sometimes 4 or 5 in the morning uh just wee hours of the morning they're getting up and leaving and not coming back until late 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 at night um and that's their whole day their whole job is is to bring back water um and it's it's crazy people are people are it's it's insane to me that it's 2019 and and there are still places in the world Terrific. that people don't have access to clean running water and um there are there are a few people working on things like this bill gates mm-hmm. is working on um, a, a filtration system that actually takes feces and turns it into drinkable water which is amazing um, and the idea is that if they can turn feces into drinkable water they could turn all kinds of waste into drinkable water um, so that's amazing but charity water what they do is they they go into one of these villages or one of these areas and they it's they call it a water project and so they dig a well or um, run an aqueduct from somewhere where there is water and um, And any way they can do it, they provide access to clean, fresh, running water, and it's amazing. Um, My favorite thing about the organization, though, um, and this is where Scott's uh, expertise comes in, is he was able to set up an organization that runs 100% on outside funding, Mm -hmm. so donors. They rely on donors for all of their overhead, their salaries, all of that is paid through outside funding and donors, so every contribution to the organization, 100% of it goes to these water projects. And I think that's amazing. That's amazing. Eh? Yeah. So if listeners, if you're not familiar with charity water, if you're not familiar with Scott, Harrison, just Google either one it's CharityWater.org If you want to look up the website, but, um, this is a, a charity that I, I learned about. Um, I think I learned about it through Andy Stanley. Okay. Um, at one point, I think Andy Stanley had, uh, Andy St. Louis, a pastor in um, Atlanta or just outside Atlanta. Um, and he had, I think he had Scott Harrison on his podcast at one point. And that's when I first learned about him. But um, anyway, doing amazing work. So, so look up Scott Harrison, look up charitywater.org, um, pick up Scott's book yeah. and read it. Tell me if it's good. Um but yeah, so that's that's our good human of the week, our, our charity of the week, I guess. Yeah. Um, just wanted to highlight that. But That's awesome. Um, I love it.
1: The way to do that, I mean, just run charity 100%. Everything gets right through to the thing. How many so times cool. have you come across a charity and gone, oh yeah, but uh, like, uh, are they all just like, giving us the CEOs and bonuses or are they doing this or doing that? So like, next time, right? If you're listening to this, next time you see a charity on TV, give your money to this and you go, oh yeah, but I don't know how they'll use it. Instead, pick up your phone or go, go to the website Charity War. Give that money immediately to Charity War because you know, one hundred percent, this is going to feeding, you know, giving kids water, helping you know families mm-hmm. have something to drink, something to clean in. Like, I mean, it's you know, one of the biggest causes of death on this planet right now is diarrhea. People getting diarrhea and being dehydrated because they don't have enough clean water to replenish themselves, and they just die of diarrhea. Can you imagine like dying from diarrhea? But that is yeah, still it's awful. a thing today. And it's like, that yeah. is something that we could easily, easily, it's not like we're trying to cure AIDS or cancer here. We're, we're, we're yeah. trying to cure helping people drink some water.
0: Thank you so much, Phil, for, for making time for this.
1: Thank you um, for having me on. I, I, honestly, I'm very, very privileged.
0: Man, it, this was such a good conversation. Um, One of my favorites for sure. I'd love to stay in touch and, mm, and, yeah, absolutely. you know, talk every now and then maybe even have you back um at some point. Cause we talked about a lot today and did. there is so much more even <laughs> um, that we didn't even touch so yeah, um, yeah it'd be cool to, to follow up on this at some point but thank you again for the work that you're doing in the world thank you for just kind of exposing some of the the weirdness and the craziness around some of the longest held religious traditions known to our, our modern society and sort of exposing the, the, the good that's in there as well
1: I think it's yeah. important.
0: Great conversation.
1: Thank yeah, you. really good. Yeah. I really appreciate it. Thank you.
0: Awesome. Um, listeners, thank you for listening. If, if you stuck with it, it, if you didn't get scared away by all the religious talk, um, I'm so happy that you were here for this and that uh, you you listened and that you have supported the podcast. It it has meant a lot. Um, I'm excited about season three and everything that we're going to do here. So thanks for being here. Uh, and until next week, be good to each other.